Hello and welcome to day 22 of A Year of War and Peace. I'm Brett. And I'm Logan. And today we are reading Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 22. Scene change, new location, Scene change. new place in the world. We've, we've, we've gone into the bird's eye view and we've zoomed out to the map and then zoomed in somewhere else. Two. To the countryside, to, the countryside. to Bald Hills, the home of Bald. Nikolai Bolkonsky, not to be confused with our previous Nikolai with the little Rostov. One. So we have two new names here that are actually old names, but they're new characters. We have Nikolai Bolkonsky and Maria and Maria Bolkonsky. Yes. So these are new Bolkonsky characters. It's pretty clear in the chapter, but yeah. just in case you had any confusion about that. It took me a second when I first read this chapter to yeah. like switch my <laughs> brain over from being like Nikolai Rostov, Nikolai Rostov for like the last 10 chapters almost. To now a new Nikolai. But our Nikolais really couldn't be more different. I, I was just about to say, I so. don't think that once I read any farther into this chapter <laughs> that I could have mistaken them. So we go to the to Bald Hills, the estate of the Bolkonskis out in the country, where Nikolai and his daughter, Princess Maria, yes. are awaiting the arrival of Which, Prince Andre and his wife. Nikolai is a political exile? Yeah, so Nikolai is another one of like the old Russians uh, of like the previous generation. So he's of Catherine's generation. He's very old, and it says that he was exiled during the reign of Paul. Paul was the Paul. Paul, Paul was the czar <laughs> who followed Catherine. He was Catherine's son, and he was very controversial. He only reigned for about five years before he was killed in a coup that the Russian nobility and the officers orchestrated against him. He was uh, unpopular for a few different things that he tried to institute. He tried to increase some of the freedoms of the peasantry and tried to enforce a code of chivalry onto the Russian nobles, neither of which they took kindly to. I'm sure that there was more details, but in my brief skimming, he was an unpopular ruler, only ruled about five years. And so during that reign, Nikolai, I guess, did something bad or got on the wrong side of Paul. This is something crazy to me that happened where rulers that would like go against whatever the popular rule or just like had different ideals or whatever would go into like political exile where they wouldn't be imprisoned but they would basically go under house arrest mm-hmm. with like limited resources yeah that is just great like the the romanov family Mm-hmm. It's like a very famous example of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. That is just like wild to me. Yeah. Well, I don't know why. I don't know why it is. And they'll so even crazy do it to me. Napoleon after his. The yeah, end of his they wars. just send him to the the islands. Yeah. Lives out the rest <laughs> of his days on a gorgeous island. Yeah. Like that's just that's oh to be so rich you don't even have to go to prison. I know. I know. But yes, yeah, so Nikolai, I suppose, was exiled during Paul's reign. Paul was killed, and then his exile was ended, but Nikolai decided that he was like, screw screw this, I'm staying. Loki, I would too. Like, just kind of get out of the hustle and bustle of, I mean, being a, a strategist in the war. Yeah. I don't, know if, I don't know if the exile did him any good, though. Well, <laughs> no, probably not. I think that may, maybe... Maybe he should have come back to society. A little, a little socialization. A little socialization would have been nice. A little interaction with some other people here. But Maria is homeschooled. We learn Maria is homeschooled, and she's twenty and still being homeschooled. Still, it doesn't even seem like being homeschooled. Like she's just being made to do math lessons. Yes. Well, I mean, everyone was sort of homeschooled. Like there weren't yeah. there weren't like 
school institutions. Everyone had private tutors. But her tutelage has continued probably well past yeah. the age it normally would and is much more – it's all dictated by her father, father. it looks like. So it's, yeah. not, it's definitely not a normal education, I, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, we get an introduction to Nikolai, who's very prompt. His he's, he's, he has a he has a strict schedule. Uncomfortable. Yeah, I am like was made physically uncomfortable reading about this man. Which part? The lessons or just his introduction? Even just all of him. Yeah, he's a very domineering. Yeah, figure. Even like he the same. I get the same feeling from him as I don't know if any of you are Les Mis fans. I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, like you probably are. <laughs> but if you're familiar with the musical, there's a song called Master of the House. And, like, the same sort of, like, uncomfortable nature that I feel when I, like, picture that scene and, like, picture that song is how I feel about this guy. Mm. He just, like, makes my skin curl. Yeah, he's a very, he's a very intense figure. I love how they, I love how he talks about his, the, like, the description is, like, about talking about his little booties, like, that he wears. There's, like, a description on um, page... Oh, the motion of the prince's tiny foot in its silver-trimmed tartar booty and the firm pressure of his lean, sinewy hand spoke of resolute strength. I just love the description of his little tartar booty. (laughs) (laughs) His tiny foot. (laughs) So silly. Like, what does he look like? Is he small, right? I think he's he's supposed to be small, kind of wiry, has a powdered wig. I love that he has a powdered (laughs) wig. That rocks to me. I I read that description. I was like, of course this guy's got a powder. He... I, he looks like a gnome in my head. Like he looks like one of the seven dwarves is like what I'm picturing. But yeah, so we get an introduction to him, and then Maria Bolkonski is also introduced, Andre's sister. Just for a quick reminder, this is the girl that the plot to marry Anatole to, which is, is brought the up. target of. It's brought up in which this is chapter. mentioned. Yes, is yes. mentioned. She comes in for lessons with her father. This is like doing math yes. math problems at the kitchen table at 9 p.m. Every on a day. school night with your father to the extreme. Yes. Like that feeling over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and, and it's so, yeah, it's so stressful, like, the description of it. How and s- like your parent, like you don't quite get it and your dad is getting frustrated because mm-hmm. he gets it but can't get you to understand. Mm-hmm. Oh that's, my God. It's every day. It's every, oh my God. <laughs> and it's described, it's described that she just sort of glazes out and doesn't focus on yeah. any of it and doesn't, none of it processes. Dude, she's and, having like a trauma response. Yeah, I mean... Like, me too, man. Just reading it. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, first, before they get into the lesson, her father presents her a letter. Yes. From, from none other than Julie Kerrigan. <gasps> and he refers to her as, he, he says, uh, from your Heloise. What does that mean? So that is a reference to a romantic novel written by Rousseau called Julie or the New Heloise. That title is a reference to another story, a medieval story about a Heloise who falls in love with this guy named Peter Abelard. But the important detail is that that novel is written entirely in letters between the two lovers. So they're in love. Basically. Dude, these letters are literally love letters. Um, you could not convince me otherwise. <laughs> like, I, uh, Julie Kerrigan, re- like, redemption arc. She's not just evil now. She's an evil gay, and that makes it okay. I can't explain it, but she's better now in my head. In-group bias. 
But uh, he's basically he's commenting on the volume of letters that they've exchanged between each other. Yes. And well, it was, interestingly, a little note in the end notes is that Tolstoy based their letter exchanges on a real manuscript of letters written between an M.A. Volkova and V.I. Lanskaya that he read before the novel. So they are the Who letters. Who are those people? I don't Unknown? Think, I don't know. But they are. They, they're based on real letter exchanges between two women that Tolstoy wrote on. So interesting. Interesting little note. On it's the interesting. Letters. I wonder how he would come into possession of letters like that. Um, Unless I, they were like, yeah, no maybe in like a family member's. Uh, house and the family member passed away. That's the only reason I could. Tolstoy strikes me as one of those guys who just read an insane amount yeah. of very, very broad stuff. It just It's such like a random and intimate thing to come into possession of the transcripts of something like that, you know? Yeah, it said, well, it said that the, the correspondence is based on a, quote, whole volume of similar letters exchanged between two friends. Interesting. Which Tolstoy read in 1863, so right before he wrote the novel. Wow. Interesting. So that's an interesting little note about the yeah. letter exchange there. But yes, so yeah, so her and Julie Kerrigan are good friends, at least. Good friends. At the least, Hist- very good friends. Historians will call them good friends. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been exchanging many letters yes. between one another. And it seems that Nikolai vets a lot of the content that comes through. He yeah. says that he'll, read, he'll the next, read the third letter. The third next letter that comes in from, yes. from Julie. I really, really liked the line, I cannot overcome a certain secret sadness, which I have sensed at the bottom of my heart since our separation. I love the term secret sadness. Mm. A certain secret sadness? Come on. Julie Kerrigan was writing fire with that pen. <laughs> she put she she dipped that shit in the little inkwell and she it ignited. <laughs> and she put the pen to paper and started scrawling. That first paragraph is is downright saucy. It's crazy. It's intense. What a terrible and awful thing absence is. I tell myself half of my existence and happiness is in you. Come on. That is crazy. Sorry. I had to hit sorry, I had to hit the table there. But that is crazy. To look me in the eye and say, Oh, they're just friends. They're just, they're just good buddies. They're just friends. No, I'll 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 seed the court on this one. Um, absolutely. But Yes, uh, Julie also sent her a book. Oh, I missed that. What book does she send? So her? Nikolai, uh, after after their lesson, after a disastrous failed lesson, where Nikolai shouts at Maria and she doesn't retain oh, anything. Oh, yes, yes, he, yes, yes. I see that. He, he it says she tried to get away, but he signaled for her to stop and gave her a new book with uncut pages down from the high desk. Uncut. So, so what that refers to is you just want to share all of your little there's notes. A, there's a lot of in note. There's a lot of in these few chapters. There's yeah. quite a lot of. Little little tidbits of information. Nikolai's a very educated man, and so there's a lot of little tidbits. But the uncut pages, this is also just sort of trivia. But what that refers to is that prior to the middle of the 19th century, publishers only really sold books to aristocrats. There wasn't like a Barnes & Noble, mm-hmm. or, you know, or whatever. Dude, I would pay a lot of money to be able to go to a Barnes & Noble in 1805. <laughs> see what they had on just the shelf. Just see what would be on those shelves. But publishers would sell the books uncut with the pages still folded over and you can google it you can just google uncut pages to see what this looked like but basically when you publish a book you fold the pages and then print on either side and then the pages are cut to make the pages the way that they are yes okay okay, and so publishers would sell the book without cutting the pages and with a temporary cheap paper binding for the book and then the purchaser the first person to purchase the book would go through the trouble of finding someone to bind the book and cut the pages 
That's so interesting. Right? So basically, this is a fresh new manuscript that Julie has purchased from the publisher to send to... Dude, they're, they're so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they do love religion, these two. Maria particularly. Maria particularly so is, was something a, that I, I noticed. The book in question is a reference to a real book that was popular at the time. That's like a mystical book. It's sort of a book on mysticism and and like spiritualism yeah, more than mysticism. more than a traditional Catholic or yeah, Catholic. Exactly. Something like that. Whereas Maria is a very seems to be very seems to be orthodox. very, very devout. Yes, very, yes. very orthodox <clears throat> religious Christian. I also love that she refers to uh, Anna Bekailovna as everybody's auntie. I love that. I also that was like such that like a, lot. a true like that's such a true statement. She is everybody's <laughs> auntie. I'm glad that everyone else appreciates Anna Mikhailovna's work in society. <laughs> Anna Mikhailovna's number one fans <laughs> right here. Anna Mikhailovna has no fans. I'm dead. She runs this podcast, actually. So she's she's pointing having, a gun at us right now and forcing us to say that, but we love Anna Mikhailovna. We love Anna Mikhailovna and Boris. And Boris. Boris Drubetskoy. Boris is only good for Only good for Boris. Julie lays out the gossip. We've learned uh, that that Pierre did in fact inherit the full estate yes. of his father. He's rich now and vastly fled back to Petersburg with his tail between his legs, mm-hmm. like the little dog he is. What happened to the princesses? That's not clear. It says they got hardly anything. They got hardly anything, but like, are they just still at the house? I don't know. Imagine living with three people that hate your guts. Pierre would do it. <laughs> you think he's going to kick them out? You think Pierre's got the no? Got the back? They've got the backbone. No. I'm just to, picturing to Paul. People? I'm just picturing Paul Dano. <laughs> Trying to picture Paul Dano evicting someone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Julie informs her of all that, and then oh. Maria writes back about it all. Maria yes. is a Pierre fan, but I do love I do love the line. I don't even know the Moscow marriage news is now making a Countess Bazukov out of me. Oh yeah, I, liked, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> that was a funny line. Um, that, that apparently Julie, I guess, is as popular in the rumors. She must be a, an, an yeah. eligible bachelorette. Come on, Julie Kerrigan. <laughs> and she says, "No, I hate that stinky." What does she say? She says something really mean about Pierre. Um, Oh, that is. She says, oh, she, he, referring to Pierre, she says, who incidentally has always seemed to me a miserable specimen of manhood. Yes, I wrote that in my notes. Miserable specimen of manhood. Oh, and then she also informs everybody's the everybody's auntie quote referring to Anna Mikhailovna comes from her informing Maria or Maria of the plan plot scheme to have her marry Anatole, whom she calls very handsome and very naughty. I wrote that as well. Woo! (laughs) Meow! (laughs) (laughs) And then again, we're kind of proved that little means it's like a term of endearment because at the end she has postscript, do send news of your brother and his charming little wife. Yeah. So... I think I just got to get over the little thing. And I need to know what it really, like, what it would be, like, equitable to. But it is still just so weird to me yeah. to hear all these people be referred to as a little. Maybe it was just a bunch of small people. Maybe they were all short. They you never know. shorties. Mario writes back and responds basically to all of those. We get a little bit glimpse into her character. Again, the, the religiosity of her, where she... She talks about a lot of a lot of speech about God. She says she pities Pierre for being rich because yes. it will make it harder for him to enter into heaven. She also says <laughs> <laughs> she also says she likes Pierre. She says she thinks he has a good heart, Aww. which is which is one of the only nice things we've heard about Pierre so far. Well, so. I agree with her. <laughs> 
she seems sort of neutral on this prospect of Anatole. She just kind of says that when God sends her a husband, she'll accept whoever he is. It doesn't really yes. matter to her. Yes. She talks about a scene where she saw all the boys being sent off for the war in mm-hmm. the village and all the women crying as they as they were taken away. And she she sends her uh, sends her note back. Yeah. And then she heads out and uh, sees we meet Mademoiselle Borian. We have a quick scene with her where she basically just takes Maria's letter. letter. She's like the assistant around the yeah. household, um, essentially. And then it's time for clavichord practice. Yes. She has this, Maria has this really awesome line where she goes, I've asked you never to tell me in advance about my father's moods. I do not allow myself to pass judgment on him and would not wish others to do so. Yeah. Which I think is just very interesting. Like Mm -hmm. she's, Maria is a very intriguing character to me. She is. She's, she clearly is very unhappy Mm -hmm. in her life, Mm -hmm. but is still able to find it in herself to be like, don't talk shit about my dad. Yeah. But or she, she and she refuses to pass judgment on him in any in any capacity. Which is interesting. It is. Very, very Russian Orthodox. Yeah. Very like here. very very much of the idea that like what the man says goes. Or even the idea I of like feel- the patriarch of the family, like respect of like respect of the older generation. Maybe. I took it as as the idea that no one is has a place to pass judgment on anyone except for God. Interesting. That's kind of, it seemed like it's not our earthly place to judge others. The only th- thing that is important is one's, is how God judges Interesting. someone. I took it, I took it as a place of like, just hopelessness. Mm. You know, like she feels like she, like there's no use in judging or use in knowing her father's moods because she's still going to be subjected to it anyway. Interesting. Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. I think, and I think we'll see it more as we get to know Maria a little bit more, that her intense religion is definitely something of a defense mechanism yeah, with regard to the agree. situation that she agree. is in domestically. I would definitely agree with that. But that's chapter 22. Chapter 22. Rankings. Rankings. My turn to rank. Time for the ranking time. Sorry, I'm coming up with a lot of songs today. I'm just kind of musical. You're just in a musical sort of mood. Prince Nikolai Bolkonsky. Okay. Princess Maria Bolkonsky. And Mademoiselle Borian. 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 Who do you think would be the best at duck hunting? Duck hunting? Duck hunting out in the country. Ew. Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. Okay, I'm going to go with the Count, number one. I think that Mademoiselle Borian is number two, and I think that Maria is number three. No faith in Maria? I just don't think that she'd want to kill another living thing. I, I think uh, that goes yeah. against her religion. I see that. I see that. So yeah, I see that directly. That was that was an easy one. Fair enough. Easy. Easy clap. Easy dub. Easy dub. Average Logan dub. Average Logan dub. <laughs> you so you always you always see through everything, Logan. I do. Okay. You're like you're like a gauzy wall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was really stupid. <laughs>